We are doing a post-Easter reflection series, also an exhortation to who we are as a church called Life Together. Uh, really asking Kirk to lead that because he's our pastor over the small communities of our church, which is not just something that we recommend as a good idea, but as we've been going through this series, we see that the way that we gather in the fellowship of the saints, in the way that we can know each other, is really a reflection of the God that we love, and the God that we worship, and the God that we sang to. And we've called this Life Together Community in the image of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the God that you came to worship this morning is communal. He is a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three-in-one God that listened to week one of the series to truly to understand how mysteriously and yet glorious that is, and we're made in his image. And the reason that we time it after Easter, as we think about what we just celebrated, church calendar, power of the resurrection, our God was not held down by the grave. Sin could not hold him down. He pays the penalty of sin on the cross. He raises from the grave to show his power. And then there is this movement, the church of God responding. And he says, now come together. His whole post-resurrection movement was to reconcile people back together. Disciples had once been scattered. He starts with them, and he brings them back together. And then they say, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He says, just wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. That belongs to the Father. The Son is teaching the disciples, and he's telling them to wait for the Spirit. And as the Spirit falls on what is called Pentecost, which is on June 5th of our of our calendar year this year, the Spirit moves to ignite the church. And he, the, the, the power of God ignites the church by giving them unity in the gifts of the Spirit to proclaim the goodness of God, and they all start witnessing to who God is in his power. So as we consider how to truly absorb the Easter message, not as a Sunday concert, but as a response to what that is supposed to look like in the church, the people of God, it, it does seem to point us to a proper response by saying, Easter is not an individual message. The power of resurrection is not an individual power. It is the power of God to reconcile his people back together and then use them to reconcile the lost. So all of that to say, the last three weeks, we've been studying each figure of this triune God that we believe in, that lives in community, that is calling us to reflect his image in community. First week, we looked at the Father and his love that is poured out as the motivation for every message that points us to salvation and a desire to follow Jesus. Last week, we looked at the Son, and the Son is a practical hands and feet, heart of God, visible image. And the whole message last week was how Christ, the King of the universe, comes not to be served, but to serve. And this week, I've been given the assignment, the task, the joy, and yet almost the burden to talk about that third figure, the Holy Spirit, which is the power. You will receive power when you desire to reflect the image of God in his love and in his service, you're going to need power, and that's the Holy Spirit. And I say it's a challenge because it, oftentimes the Holy Spirit, the triune entity of the triune God, the third person, is often called the forgotten God. The God that uh, sometimes it's tangible to think about creator God, Father, and visible image Jesus. We can read the red letters of the gospel and say, that's Christ. But there's all sorts of different ways that the Holy Spirit is sometimes less talked about, less experienced, less preached about. 
And I've, I've actually heard a joke that the, the church is often preaching the message of the Father and the Son and the Holy Bible, and the Holy Spirit is completely forgotten. So today we're going to look at a third version of the triune God that we've been preaching in community by addressing a, a, a Gospel of John chapter 14 moment that Jesus is going to have with his disciples and if you have your Bibles, John chapter 14, we're actually going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and the power of community this week and next week, rooted in the Gospel of John as we have been. But this week, we'll start our reading in verse 15. Verse 15, Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is before the death and resurrection. He's preparing them for the mission of the church. He's giving them a promise of a coming one that will fulfill his role in their lives after he's gone. And he says, if you love me, verse 15, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another, a helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I have to be honest with you that this was not the first passage of Scripture that I had on my heart to preach a message about the Holy Spirit in our lives and before I get to the power of why I think this is the starting point for the need for the Holy Spirit to be elevated to his proper position as equal Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if you're like me, sometimes you think of the Holy Spirit in the introduction that we have to it in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, the Nicodemus, the teacher of the Jews at the time, very famous in his day to know the word, and yet he comes to Jesus and has questions about the kingdom and how to gain inheritance into it. And you'll remember that Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't enter into the kingdom. You have to have, yes, a physical birth and a body given to you by your physical mother, but you must have an experience where God breathes life into you by his spirit. And of course, Nicodemus at the time had questions about what that even meant. And as Jesus answered him, he said, well, the spirit is like the wind. No one knows where it came from. No one knows where it's going. And I've always appreciated that definition of the Spirit. When I was divvying up the passage of Scripture and Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the teaching of this series, I was glad to accept the Holy Spirit assignment because I initially was like, that's kind of, that's kind of how I like to live my life, you know, like the wind. Yeah, I like to come and go and anything could happen tomorrow and let's not put too much stake into anything and love God, love people, and then just let the Spirit blow us around until, until we kind of get to heaven. And I think that's certainly, obviously, Jesus is teaching him that for a reason. There is good liberty that comes from knowing the Spirit of God apart from traditions of man. And the Spirit will come into your life and sometimes break down some of the predictable some of the ways that religion can be too predictable and too safe and too unlike the Spirit's freedom, and it can actually be enslaving. So I think it's a good message to understand that the Spirit of God breathes life, life more abundant, so that you would follow an expression of Jesus in your life that is not duplicated just by looking into the religious tradition. That's a good message. 
but it's not the message that we are going to point us to for how do we reinvigorate our heart for the power of the Spirit. Why is it that so many of us can relate to this problem that the Holy Spirit is more mysterious than glorious? And he's more forgotten than celebrated in our lives. And for that, we're going to look at what we just read. Because before Jesus gets to the teaching on the Holy Spirit, he has a very important reason that these disciples are going to need to know the Holy Spirit. And it was the first thing we read. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. So we have the triune God expressed in this teaching. If you love me, I'll ask the Father, and he will give. And Jesus asking is serving his disciples, and then the Spirit will come. But there's a very important descriptor of the Spirit that's worth circling and remembering as to how your life becomes Holy Spirit dependent. A life that would require the Holy Spirit. And it starts with this simple concept of what it even means to love God. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you actually love God, if you want to be born into his kingdom, if you want to be moved by his spirit away from religious tradition and towards glorious freedom to give him your life, it starts by listening to him and obeying him, to understand his commandments and the requirement that he would place on your life, to listen to the word of God, not simply as good advice, to listen to the preaching and the power of Jesus' words, not simply as another wise teacher, but as commandments by which you now live. If you haven't gotten to that part of your pursuit of God, then you probably don't need the Holy Spirit. But the reality is, is that Jesus came on the scene not to abolish the law and set everybody free to just be Holy Spirit, move like the wind people to do what they want. He came to solidify the law into the essence of what it was all about. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. So I think before we get into the dependency that we will need in the Spirit to do that, let's be refreshed in what those commandments are. And this might seem like elementary Christianity 101 because we are going to simplify the law and the prophets into a phrase you've probably heard at a church setting like this. But I sometimes, in my own life, if something seems too elementary, I'm probably one step away from forgetting about it altogether. Last week, as I was leaving first service, uh, someone was coming in and they said, what's the sermon about? I said, it's actually an amazing sermon. It's all about Jesus. To which the young man replied, I've already heard that one. <laughs> well, to his credit, he's like, okay, but, you know, tell me more. As if a sermon about Jesus is something we can check off our list. As if the visible image of the invisible Godhead is something we've figured out by now. And in the same way, when Jesus says, if you'll love me, obey my commandments, and we can simplify it by saying, well, the commandment is love. Let's read the commandment. Matthew chapter 22, we'll find our first version of the commandment. And what does Jesus say is the great commandment? Teacher, tell us the greatest commandments, to which Jesus replies, Christianity 101, but don't tune out. I want you to listen to this for the first time. You shall love the Lord your God with 
all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The first law is that you love God with everything that you do not live a divided mind and a divided heart and a life that is of its essence, some following God and really interested in all of the things that God's not. All of your heart, mind, and soul is the first commandment. And then the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes we wrongly think that this is so easy. Uh, you know, we're not, you know, your typical heavy-handed religion. We believe in grace. Just love God and love people. Jesus did not come on the scene to simplify the law. Uh, 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 An audience of the context we're hearing would hear, do my commandments, and they need a refresher that he's not simply talking about the 600-plus laws of the Old Testament. He is talking, in fact, about what they all point you to. On this, all of the law and prophets hold. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor. It is not as simple as saying, well, love. Just love. It's narrow. In fact, just so that we don't allow this to be something that you think you can do without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, let's look at another version of this law in a more, let's call it street level, and practical way that Jesus would teach it. And for this, I I say Matthew chapter 16. It'll be on the screen behind me, so you don't have to turn there. But this is the same essence of teaching, and now I hope it hits you a little bit closer to home, to where maybe, just maybe, it's not as simple as the preacher makes it. Love God, love people. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Not an option, like, hey, if you want to be my disciple, come along, and sooner or later, maybe you'll deny yourself and listen to what I have to say. You must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So maybe a better reading of John chapter 14 to understand it is, if you really love me, you would pick up your cross like I picked up my cross, and you would lay down your life like I laid down my life, and you would be my disciple. And that's how I would know that you love me, that you actually do those things. And so I'm, I'm going to say something that will probably offend the culture, and some of you are probably more cultural than Jesus follower at the moment. I hope that changes because we have the way, truth, and the life. But uh, we live in a culture that says love is love. <laughs> and love is just, just a feeling. If you're attracted to someone, love them, and don't let anyone change your mind. Just love everything, and if you love, then you can do no wrong. There's problems with that. One is you can't define something with a thing. You can't say book is book. What, What is a book? It's a book. Okay, thank you. What is it? Who's Tucker? Tucker is Tucker. That doesn't help you. You can't just define things with words that are the thing. Love is not just whatever you feel like it is. Jesus says love is obedience. Have I offended you yet? Because I can go one further. Love is obedience. If you love someone, you actually will listen to the things that they are passionate and real about, and you'll say, okay, because I love you, I will do that. Let's go one further. Love is submission. See if anyone gets up. Cool. Let's keep preaching then. We live in a culture that says, don't tell me what to do. You don't tell me what to do. No one tells me what to do. Not even God. 
I'll tell God if I'm interested in what he has in his plans, and then we can meet in the middle. But I got to tell you, this is not just a theological or biblical reading of the idea of love. This is true of true love that you've experienced in your life. And I'm grateful for the ways that I experienced the heart of the Father's love for children because I can tell you that the times in my life where my children are truly expressing love to me is when they listen to me. They say they love me all the time. I think for a couple reasons. One is that they are made in the image of God. And from the first moment in their mother's womb, with all the hair on their heads that get developed as he's crafting them and shaping them with good works that they should walk in, until they can start to verbalize their expression of the image of God that is written on their heart, they want to say, I love you. All of us do. Because we were made in the image of a perfectly loving Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and every single person has a desire to know the love and express it. But they also say it because they know I want to hear it. <laughs> That's another reason they say it. And welcome to real life. Don't, isn't that all of us? There's an expression of love that we're designed to, to, to glorify God with. And there's also tradition of love. We sang a lot of songs about love. Jesus says, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So it's kind of hard to know when my kids are acting out their God-given impression for love of the Father and when they're just saying things I want to hear because they want stuff. But you know what really signifies the difference? Two words. Yes, Dad. When I hear my child out of the cultivation of the love they have for me in their heart say, yes, Dad, I know they are loving me. When I say, it's time to go to bed, and they say, yes, Dad, I say, oh, you love me. <laughs> you love me. When I say, it's time to go to school and wake up and get your clothes and get your lunch packed, and they say, yes, Dad. And they submit to me. And they obey me as a father that loves them, and they trust me beyond they could possibly understand. They love me. And that is the expression of God that we are all designed to live in. Yes, Dad. I love you. And this is now pointing us towards the passage of Scripture that was, is going to take the Holy Spirit and say, He's coming, and you're going to need Him if you're living in a love of God that requires you to say yes. If you live within a, a love of God that says, I will obey and submit. That's why I love this second version of the picture of the love of God. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, pick up, my pick up your cross and follow me. And the context of what we're reading this morning has to be understood in the way that Jesus was just about to do that. Jesus is not preaching to an air-conditioned sanctuary of beautiful people in a parking lot full of nice cars. I love our context. But for us to understand what he's getting at, if you love me, you will obey He's at the foot of the cross. He's marching the mission of the Holy Spirit-infused church towards the death of the Messiah. And it's worth catching us up to speed as how this story unfolds. When he says, if you love me, you would obey me. He's not preaching it and then giving them a homework assignment and he's going to check their work. He's saying, now follow me. 
Because we find Jesus in a garden right before the cross. And he has a moment to show his love for the Father. He has a moment to show his love, not through words or song or poetry, but through obedience and submission. And he comes to the garden, he says, if there is any way. And he's thinking about the cross that waits for him. He knew what was coming. The Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and be betrayed and beaten and hung to death. But if there's another way, Father, let this cup pass from me. And then comes the most powerful expression of love that the world has ever seen. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, yes, Father. Send me on your mission. And I love that passage of scripture because it says as he's praying, an angel came and ministered to him. A helper came to minister to our Lord as he was obedient to the point of death. Now, what does that have to do for us? Well, it's an interesting story to recall for this teaching because Jesus wasn't alone in the garden. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his closest disciples. If anybody's going to pass this test, those are the three that could do it on their own. And I love that Jesus brings people along. He's always teaching. He's always giving people the mission. He's always coaching them and showing them the way. But he's also, also giving us people to relate to in the story that aren't just him. And if you've heard the story, I'm sure you can recall that Jesus, as he's praying what would be described by the Gospel of Luke, sweats or drops of sweat that look like blood. Imagine getting punched in the eye and you open a cut and the blood comes out so fast that you can't stop it. And Gospel of, of, of Luke, he writes and says, that's how hard Jesus was praying. That's how his sweat was coming out. And now you contrast that to the three disciples, the best ones we got. And what are they doing? They're asleep. Couldn't you have watched with me just for a little bit? Couldn't have prayed. I'm about to die for the sins of humanity, and these guys are sleeping. And so now we begin to answer the question as to why the Holy Spirit is forgotten and lost in our lives. When you live a Christian life that you can do in your sleep, you don't need a helper. When you love God with your words, but not with your obedience and your submission, you don't need a Holy Spirit. You can do it in your sleep. Here's a quote that I found interesting from one of the commentators. He says, would God ever ask you to do something you're not able to do? The answer is yes, all the time. It has to be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. And oftentimes the glory is actually just failure. If we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal himself to a watching world. Would God ever ask you to do something you don't want to do? Of course. Otherwise, you don't need him. And, and I've already offended the culture. Let me offend the Christian culture. Would God ever ask you to do something you don't want to do? And the Christian culture, pop culture, the surface level, some call it the progressive Christian church, would say, never. You come as you are. You stay as you are. We're not going to offend you. 
whatever your favorite version of your failures and difficulties and contradictions of the Bible are, we can find a way to make it work here. And the progressive church movement, you know, it's got some pop-up shops. There are churches that build a message around people not having to do what they want to do. Not having to grow from unrighteousness, which is your starting point, bad news before the good news, unto righteousness. Not having to repent from sin that will separate you, God, unto the cleansing and the washing of his word so you can be with him. Stay where you are. And lest you be alarmed that the progressive church is going to take over, it won't last very long. Here's my very basic prediction. If you find a church that tells you that you don't need to change and you don't need to do anything different in your life, you don't need that church. <laughs> you can stay home. <laughs> and I think it may be, maybe take two weeks, three weeks, a year before you figure out, like, hmm, the church that I go to tells me I don't need them. <laughs> The church, the pastor says, I can stay how I am. I don't need discipleship. I can enjoy the pleasures of this world without ever being challenged. And what will eventually happen is you're like, well, I can do that in my sleep. Sunday morning until 11 o'clock. I'll sleep in every Sunday. <laughs> you don't need a church that doesn't tell you to grow and to repent and to stop sinning and to look to Christ, who is the only one that can do anything good. Apart from him, you do nothing. Apart from the sanctification, sanctification of the word, you remain unclean. And so we, we listen. And now we are getting close to the need for this message to be accepted, not simply with your minds, but with your life to say, what would it look like for God to call you to do something that you can't do outside of your own power? The only way it would work is if he sent a helper. And by God's design, he has created good works for every single one of us to walk in. Good works of growing in sanctification, good works of mission and evangelism, good works of encouragement, good works of being in community to be with one another, sharing the gifts. And so many of the good works of God stand on the other side of a cross that you have to pick up, a sacrifice that you have to make with your time and your calendar and your politics and your emotions. And we look at the cross and we say, I'm not so sure. It is only understanding that you are called to love with obedience unto death of self that you will ever need the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is not required for things that you can do in your sleep, for things that you can do with your own wisdom, with your own ideas, with your own plans, with your own passions and pleasures. If that is as far as you're looking to go with following Jesus, you don't need me, and you don't need the word, and you don't need church, and you don't need community. But as soon as you say, I will be a disciple that loves you with obedience, you will pick up a cross. The cross is waiting for you. And on the other side of every cross is joy and life. So that when we die, we experience the same spirit that was raising Christ from the dead, raising us up with every moment of the cross in your life. And so with the time I have, I'll, I'll share you the story that I found helpful in my own life to take this message from John chapter 4, live like the wind, to Lord, will you give me help to pick up a cross? And I'll share a story that's a cross that this big. It's not a big cross, but it's a cross that happened this week in my own life. 
So last week, my wife and I and our four kids were blessed to take some time just to rest as a family and sit by a pool. We went out of town, enjoyed each other's company, rested. And, you know, knowing that I was going to preach, I did, I dabbled a little bit in the word, like, hey, I wonder what's going on here. And it was very peaceful. And by the way, grateful. And I encourage you in God's timing to find God's rest. We just did a whole conference on Cultivate Sabbath. There is power in resting in the Lord and then allowing your work to come from a place of worship and rest. But I did find it interesting that in my time of great tranquility and peace, my thoughts of the Holy Spirit were mostly like, well, you kind of just blow with the wind. It's kind of cool. The, the sermon actually shifted last Saturday as I was heading back to Boise. Got to the airport. Everything went well. I give the trip like an A minus, which when you're traveling with four kids, that's good. You know, we're happy with that result. Very good trip. And uh, we get to the airport and um, we're just checking in and they look at our ticket and they say, um, your flight is not until tomorrow. And I'm like, well, I've got places to be, but tell me more. <laughs> and they said, yeah, you know, there was a, not enough crew to, to do your connecting flight in Minneapolis, so we had to cancel that flight. But don't worry, we bumped you to tomorrow. We'll take care of you tonight, make, make it good. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I had a wedding to do. That's why I wasn't preaching last weekend. I got to serve at a wedding. So I was, normally I'd be like, no problem. I love an extra day at the hotel and no problem, but... I had to get, a, like, I can't. I have, to, I have to argue with you. I have to get me on a plane. I'm like, please, I have somewhere to be. And all of a sudden, probably because I'd been praying and thinking about the need for a helper, my whole perspective shifted towards the cross. And instead of yelling at a gate agent, instead of thinking about all of these things in the lens of, like, frustration and disappointment. It's, I just said, God, I need some help. I need you to help me serve people and love you. To I want to obey your commandments. And so by God's grace, the, the conversation went well. And the lady said, okay, I got one seat, Orlando to Minneapolis to Boise. I can get you, dad, I can get you home. And it's first class. And I'm like, my cross to bear. <laughs> Woo! I was like, okay, one seat. And I look over, and my wife is standing with nine things of luggage. <laughs> you know, Tommy in her arms and three kids who are crying. And I'm like, oh, shoot. I've got a moment here to think about me flying first class and leaving you. And so, um, Holy Spirit, I need your help. And I said, is there any way that I could just take Tommy and all the luggage? Because Tommy, he's a two-year-old boy. He's worth three girls, so we're pretty much equal at that point. <laughs> Give me Tommy. I'll take him, and I'll take all the luggage. And, and she's like, ah, ooh, that's going to be harder. Uh, you can't go first class. But what we can do is get you to Salt Lake, and then you can drive through the night uh, in a rental car that you'll have to buy. And then hopefully that works for you. And I'm like, ah, first class to driving through the night? <laughs> the helper comes. And it was one scenario after the other to continually say throughout the whole moment and days of these travel circumstances, God, I just want you to help me keep picking up crosses along the way. 
And I, I get to Salt Lake and I realize I'd made a terrible mistake when I get to the baggage claim. And I'm like, wait a second, I got Tommy and nine bags because <laughs> I'm traveling with a Colombian hostess of a family of six. And I got, so I got all our luggage. I got two suitcases and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to need a helper. <laughs> so I actually go into the bathroom of the airport as I'm waiting for all the luggage to come out. And me and Tommy are in double stroller. I'm like, God, I cannot wait to see how your Holy Spirit helps to me, for me to get just luggage to a rental car. And I'm literally walking out the bathroom and I get to the luggage and I just pile it up and I kind of start dragging and pulling it, you know, because it's like when your car breaks down, you open up the hood to see that, you know, you're kind of in desperate need. And so I'm like, someone will see me. And with, you know, it's God. He loves me. He loves you. He wants us to obey unto the cross. And some guy comes up to me. He's like, I'm here to help. And I'm like, Thank you, God. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting for you. And he's just like the master helper. I've got Tommy. He's giving me first class. He's got all the bags. He gets me to the rental car. He's putting the bags in for me, you know, making sure Tommy's checked in. And, and then I'm telling him my story. And he's like, you're driving through the night? He gives me like these caffeine packets. He's like, stay awake. Stop at this gas station. I'm like, thank you. You are a great helper. And this is when you, when you live out the cross, God says, you're going to love it. It's going to be crazy. It's not going to be what you want to do, but you're going to love it along the way. And I got to church, and, I, and, and along the way, the more crosses that I could bear, the more the Spirit helped, the more the whole thing turned into worship. And eventually, I came and worshiped with you guys and, and then went to the wedding. And on the way to the wedding, I had like a 10-minute window to run home and get my suit and turn it on or get to the wedding. And, of course, house is locked. And... I don't have keys to my house. And so I'm like crawling through a cracked window like, God, you are just hilarious. I love how you are just helping me find windows into my own home, you know. And so I finally get to this wedding. And it was the first wedding I'd ever done, I think by God's design, where the bride and groom actually did not want a typical wedding exhortation. They didn't necessarily want me to talk about the man and the woman in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. And, and they said, all we, want, all we want for this wedding is for you to preach the gospel. And so I get there and I'm like, just overwhelmed by the love of God in the way that he designs our life to continually step by step by step, see every cross-bearing opportunity as a moment for the helper to come, give us the power of the Holy Spirit, and get to worship on the other side. And so this is a picture of the wedding that I got to go to. And I get there and I'm like, this is me with no sleep and my family's still stranded in Orlando and a bride and groom that have no idea what's going on. But I, I thought to myself, it's one of the great moments of my life because I got to experience the power of the cross unto worship. And I share all of that as my tiny, tiny, it's like a grain of sand of the cross. But we spend so much time resisting the cross. We spend so much time thinking through Christianity in this personal experience that we get to the foot of the cross and we fall asleep. We get to the challenge to be obedient and submissive, and we say, not quite yet. And what this is reminding us of is Jesus approaches the cross, and he says, you guys are going to need the power of the Holy Spirit if you actually obey me. And every single one of you, 
Starting the second you leave this sanctuary, probably for some of you now in this sanctuary, as you think through the tension of the flesh pulling you away from doing anything God asks you to do and the spirit pulling you towards a cross that will allow you to experience the help of the power of the resurrection unto joy and worship. The decision that you have to make is a decision of whether or not you want to experience the power of God to resurrect every situation to his glory. That's just, this is a decision of our generation. Is this enough? Is it enough to listen to the sermons and to listen to the worship and to look at all of the ups and downs of the expression of buildings and functionality of churches? and choose your own adventure. Because what would happen if we desired so deeply to love God that, that we looked at the circumstances of our life and we, says, we say, God, your commandments say to love you with everything. And then your commandment says to love my neighbor. And there are so many things that I want to resist in that because I love other things. I want my heart to be divided. I want my mind to be divided. I want my soul to be yours on Sunday and not on Monday. And loving my neighbor is, can it be optional? Because my neighbors, you don't know them, Lord. <laughs> if you love me, you will obey my commandments and he will give you a helper. The reason that the Holy Spirit is forgotten is because we follow Jesus in a way that we could do it in our sleep. You want to find people who have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit? Find the people who have literally sweat like Jesus sweats, crying out to God. Come to the underground church meeting. You'll see the power of the Holy Spirit. Visit the, what the Ecclesiastes says. It's better to be in a house of mourning than a house of feasting because it is good for us to consider our end. Holy Spirit is filled in the hearts that mourn. Holy Spirit is filled in the hearts that are broken. The best prayer time I had with my family all last week is when I was saying goodbye to the airport. Your richest time with God is the closer you get to the cross, the closer you get to laying down your life, the closer you get to obeying him, not perfectly, but filled with grace over and over again that the Holy Spirit helper would push you along the way to love God and love people. I want to close with one now encouragement and exhortation for all of us to not listen to this simply as a Bible teaching, but as an invitation to God for the times that we live in. Maybe the most unrestful, unpeaceful, confusing, high-anxiety time that I've ever experienced as a pastor. And the hard solution is that it's not simply that you need a pep talk. Anxiety and worry and, and difficult, confusing times in our own natural ability, in our flesh, we think, well, I've got to get to church to just get a little bit of encouragement because I'm going downhill fast, and so is the world. What is needed is a peace that is surpassing your understanding for all of it. And as Jesus gives the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit to the disciples, knowing that he would call them to obedience in a commandment that would require them to preach and look like fools and lay down their life and literally die for the beginning of the movement we're belonging to now. 
He said, you're going to need a helper. But then he promised them one other promise that I give to all of you. Lest you leave here burdened by the message. This is a gospel good news message. Because look what Jesus says in verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things, praise God. The Holy Spirit teaching you things now by God's infinite grace through me, but not because of me. It would be removed from the idea that people learn things from smart pastors. The Holy Spirit teaches all things and will bring to you remembrance of all things that I said. The word of God hidden in your heart that the Holy Spirit can then call you to remember the plan of God, the commandments of God, the obedience required to experience your cross. And then he says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is a message of radical peace. The solution for the anxiety and the worry of our world is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit that will come to help you, to teach you, and to remind you, and to give you a peace that will surpass your own understanding. There is peace knowing that the tribulations and trials of this world are a cross to bear with joy on the other side. There is peace knowing that this was part of God's design that Jesus himself walked through. There is peace knowing that what man intends for evil in the culture wars that we live in, God will intend for good. And he will use the trials and difficulties and storms of our life with our obedience offered to him as a way to bring us joy as a way to restore in us the heart of worship that we were designed for, that we ourselves would separate the I love you with my word from the I love you with my worship, and we would be worshipful people. This is the peace that God wants his people to be known for in the dark times that we live in. But it will not come if you are resistant to the plans of God apart from your own choosing. It will not come without a cross to bear. And it will not be accomplished without the Holy Spirit giving you life, giving you help, giving you wisdom, teaching remembrance and the power to obey. It is the question of our generation and it is the answer that everyone's waiting for, whether they know it or not. To Nicodemus, the one that knows religion but doesn't know the born-again experience. You must be born again. Church will not save you. Religion will not save you. Liking your favorite pastor will not save you. Christianity to your choosing will not save you. The power of the Holy Spirit to bring life into your mortal bodies will save you. And the same Spirit that rose Christ from the grave can be offered to you unto your joy. I'll leave you with one final quote because all of this is in the context of us desiring to be a church that reflects the Father, Son, Holy Spirit power of community. Some of you think, I don't want to join a community group. I don't like people. I'm an introvert. I'm busy. 
Find out what God wants and obey. John Orberg puts it this way. Never worry alone. Worrisome thoughts reproduce faster than rabbits. So one of the most powerful ways to stop the spiral of worry is simply disclose worry to a friend. The simple act of reassurance from another person is a tool of the Holy Spirit to cast out fear because peace and fear are both contagious. To a world that desires to divide and conquer, God comes by the power of his spirit and says, stay together. It's not good to be alone. One of the takeaways from this conference that we did last couple days was the two biggest challenges and reasons your Christianity will fail. To do anything in the flesh, you must have the power of the Holy Spirit. And to do everything alone, you must be part of the body of Christ. So I encourage you by the power of the Spirit to look for the ways that God is calling you to a love that is known for obedience And for all of us to experience that peace that has been offered by John chapter 14, peace I give you, let not your heart be troubled. We're going to take communion. In your hands, you will hold the body and the blood of Christ. As he offered peace, he offered it with a knowledge of what was about to take place. Peace for the ultimate trial and difficulty of the human life, which is sin unto death. The peace that's offered this morning is the power of God's life in you. Unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you will not be part of me. And we hold the communion elements as a symbol of his body and a symbol of his blood. And we say, we're part of you. We're with you. Your life now in us, it is a picture of you consuming the life that he offers in the spirit to you. Some of us need to just be refreshed in the knowledge of the power of the Holy Spirit in the remembrance of how this is all possible. Some of us need to accept it for the first time. Noah is going to lead us in a time of prayer and remembrance of the body and the blood of Christ. And as the ushers are passing out the elements, we're going to sing a song of worship. I hope that you'll have this moment between you and God by the power of the Holy Spirit to say, Yes, Dad.